Welcome to all of you this morning, and I want to invite you, if you will, to turn to Proverbs chapter 2 this morning. Proverbs chapter 2. That has been an ongoing study for us. Proverbs chapter 2. It has been an opportunity for us to learn a lot about wisdom, and specifically the matter of the work of wisdom. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know that I have commenced a verse-by-verse study of the book of Proverbs, looking at the matter of all that the Proverbs would teach us, but especially the matter of wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 33, we looked at the first great facet of wisdom that has occupied our hearts, and that is the warning of wisdom, the warning of wisdom. We looked at that in great detail. And for these last several times that we've been together, we've been noticing the work of wisdom, the work of wisdom. Beginning in Proverbs chapter 2, we have occupied ourselves with what it means to diligently pursue wisdom, to work for it, to be involved in mining out all of the treasure of the Word of God, especially the Proverbs, as it gives to us this great treasure trove of information and understanding and wisdom and skill in order to live life to the glory of God. There is no doubt that in our day and age, this kind of wisdom is so very, very paramount in our culture. I was reading the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, as I try to do each day, on Thursday of this week, and I noticed that from the Arkansas section of the paper that there were no less than seven or eight or even nine articles that had to do with the incarceration, the prosecution, the arrest of some elected official, some judge, uh, some school teacher who would have been accused of doing something that was either against the law of man or against the law of God or both. And I was struck with the reality that these who are to be our leaders in our city and our state and our country are those who are being accused of all kinds of malfeasance or some kind of sexual immorality, something that would see them as unfit to be serving as leaders in our communities. And I was struck with the need for God's wisdom to be maintained, to be understood, to be applied in our own place and in our own city and state and world. And I was struck again on Saturday as I read another article from Dateline Chicago, December 14th, under the title, Babies Used in Drug Ring, Officials Say. Federal officials today charged 35 people with running an international cocaine and heroin smuggling ring that used women traveling with infants, some of them rented from poor families, to transport drugs in cans of baby formula. 
This operation preyed on the great respect that we, as human beings, all afford mothers and babies and betrayed that respect brazenly. Patrick J. Fitzgerald, the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, said in announcing the indictments here this morning. He said, renting babies for the purpose of allowing dealers to smuggle cocaine is truly a new low. According to the indictments which were unsealed recently, just Friday, over the last two years, female couriers flew to 20, uh, with 20 different infants from Chicago to Panama where they picked up formula cans that contained liquefied cocaine and then returned to the United States. Others smuggled cocaine into the United States from inside rum bottles, the handles of their suitcases, or injected into their body cavities. Scott Levine, an assistant United States attorney, said parents in the Inglewood neighborhood of the south side of Chicago were paid anywhere from $200 to $2,000, plus marijuana in some cases, to send the, the trips, to send people on these trips, which lasted from two days to two weeks. One child, the daughter of Keith Moore and Marissa Hardy, 22, made six trips, the first when she was three weeks old, the indictment said. On that trip, the baby was crying and looked sickly, Mr. Levine said in an interview. The baby was crying a lot, so Katrina Martin left her in an empty bathtub and closed the door probably in some motel room somewhere in Panama. On a separate trip, he said, that same baby was crying so much that the courier, Sinead Reed, left her alone in the hotel room and went out for a beer. Miss Martin was arrested in London with the baby and about 18 baby formula cans that contained kilos of cocaine. Mr. Moore and Miss Hardy, who are among four from Chicago who were charged with loaning or renting their children for the operation. They've had their parental rights terminated, and the baby, now more than two years old, has been adopted. Mr. Levine said these drug dealers use the most depraved way possible in which to import and export commodity. There are people who are willing to do anything, and anything imaginable, of smuggling cocaine and heroin into the United States and out of the U.S., the operation was exposed when a customs inspector in Newark stopped a woman traveling in London in, uh, from London in July of, uh, January of 1999 and discovered six formula cans filled with liquid cocaine. Separately, Chicago police also received a call from a frantic mother when her baby failed to come back from a smuggling trip after a week. Each 16-ounce can held up to $700,000 worth of cocaine, which was later turned into crack, the authorities said. The suspects include parents of the rented babies, women who acted as couriers, people who fraudulently obtained free airline tickets, false passports, and those who orchestrated them. One of the ringleaders, officials say, is Selena Johnson, 29, who recruited Mr. Moore and the baby. The indictment says that Orville Wilson, 38, a New Yorker, came with the female courier and traveled with these babies and the cans of formula. A total of 20 kilos of cocaine was seized on four trips. The authorities believe the ring may have included as many as 45 such trips. The suspects face penalties ranging from five years to life in prison 
and fines up to $4 million. The charges are all drug-related. How does that strike you? Incredible, isn't it? That even little babies, even those babies up to three weeks of age, are then immediately turned around and given to some stranger for the very purpose of posing as a mother and her child with fraudulent airline tickets, fraudulent passports, in order to go to some place like Panama so that a baby's formula bottle could then be injected with liquefied cocaine only to return to the United States, that cocaine go, going on the market, and then that particular person who was the courier or maybe even the mother receiving 200 to $2,000 and some marijuana as the prize. Seems to me that our world is hitting, as Mr. Levine said, new ways of expressing depravity. The unimaginable thought of birthing a baby and then using a baby for that purpose is unconscionable. How our world is in desperate need of this wisdom that we've been learning about. Reminds me, of course, of what Paul said to Timothy that in the latter days there would be the absence of family love. Reminds you of what the Scripture says when it talks about those who are deprived of the truth and depraved in the heart. And in Proverbs chapter 2, we've been discussing the way to counteract something like that. And that is to gain the wisdom of the Word of God. To search for it for all your heart. To know immediately that if someone were to approach you after having just delivered your baby and asking you to be involved in a scheme so that you could receive money or marijuana or both, you would say that is so contrary to the wisdom of God that I cannot do such a thing. That is totally unacceptable. And God will judge all of those who are involved in such things. Our world is so twisted, so turned around as to see all of the righteousness of our world as evil and all of the evil of the world as righteous. Proverbs 2 tells us that the work of wisdom is what we need to counteract that kind of involvement in our world, to reach out to these people. What if the gospel were to have penetrated the family of a needy couple, whether they be married or not, and the gospel were to be shared with someone like that before giving a baby for that purpose, and God would crash through a depraved heart, and that gospel would penetrate into that soul, and that person would come to faith in Christ, and then they would be able to say no to such practices, even the thought of it. Think of the idea of the gospel penetrating into the hearts of those at Tucker Prison even this week. Someone who may have come into that place looking, as Todd said as we talked about going there, for nothing other than a, a diversion, something to do, maybe nothing more than that, but then being so gripped with the power that music itself and the words thereof that can convey the gospel, the power of the gospel. That's what we're to be all about. That's what we're to be doing in our lives and in our ministries. And we can only do that when the work of the Word is so penetrating our own hearts that we are available and ready and willing and desirous of reaching out to people who are committing such 
incredibly wicked acts. You remember in Proverbs chapter 2 and verses 1 to 4, we said that if you receive the words of God, if you treasure God's commandments within you, if you make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you incline your heart to understanding, if you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek the wisdom of God as though you were seeking silver, or as these people were who were searching for the kind of high or the money from those things that would give them that high, if they would search for the wisdom of God as silver or search for her as for hidden treasures or for some commodity that they could sell for the highest dollar possible. You did that from a spiritual perspective, then you would discern the fear of the Lord, you would discover the knowledge of God because it is our God who is the one who gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He's the one who stores wisdom for the upright. He's the one who is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He is our God who guards the path of our justice. He's the one who preserves the way of His godly ones. We will be the ones who can discern righteousness and justice and equity. Everything that's right and just and fair and every good course would be provided for us because we're searchers and we're finders of the wisdom of God. Wisdom will enter our hearts. Knowledge will be pleasant to our soul. Discretion will guard us. Understanding will watch over us to specifically deliver us, it says, from the way of evil, according to verse 12. From the man who speaks perverse things. And even from those who would speak such perversity that would say, how about giving up your baby for a couple of weeks so that we can smuggle some cocaine into the country? Sure, that sounds good. How much... Will it be worth you to have me do that? Well, we'll give you $200, we may give you $2,000, and we'll give you some marijuana to boot. How about it? God specifically gives us wisdom that would deliver us from the way of that kind of evil, from the man who would speak such perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness, who walk in the ways of darkness, who delight in doing evil, and who rejoice even in the perversity of their evil who are devious in their ways, or maybe even a deliverance, this work of the wisdom of God from the strange woman, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, who leaves the companion of her youth, who forgets the covenant of her God, who leaves her husband, the husband of her youth, who goes out into the street, and as you enter her house, Solomon says to his son, you'll be sinking down to death. Her tracks lead to the dead. None who go to her return again, nor do they reach the paths of life. You can be delivered from that. Ask anyone, beloved, ask anyone who has committed adultery, who has been sexually immoral, that if they know Jesus Christ, if they've committed such a sin, ask them if they had the opportunity to do it over again, the opportunity to imbibe this particular passage to have it on their minds, in their hearts, ready to defend themselves, to be delivered from anything like that, whether or not they'd want to have this in their hearts in order to say no to that kind of sin. Ask them if they'd be willing to do that. I dare say that 100% of them would say, if I had seen this, if I had known this, if I had applied this, if I had give, given diligence to the pursuit of the wisdom of God, I could have been delivered from this. 
He says, here's the choice. Verse 20, if you walk in the way of good men, you'll be able to keep on the paths of the righteous. You'll be one of those upright who will live in the land. That means you'll be blessed. You'll be considered those who are above reproach. You'll remain in it. You'll be blessed by God. That's the choice. But if you do not, then you'll be a part of the wicked who will be cut off from the land. You'll be a part of the treacherous who will be uprooted from it. All of that predicated, as I've said, on verses 1 to 4, if, 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 if. If you pursue the wisdom of God. And did you know that there are other principles from other selected Proverbs that speak to this as well? As I told you, once you go up to chapter 10 of Proverbs, you have a fairly easy way of expositing the text verse by verse. But as you move from Proverbs chapter 9 into Proverbs 10, it's a little bit more difficult to try to go verse by verse because those Proverbs are listed in a verse by verse fashion, but sometimes the subject matter changes from one verse to the next. But did you realize that from chapters 10 through 31, there are still many, many things that Solomon says or whoever else is writing that proverb regarding the work of wisdom? There's a lot there. In fact, as I've gone through it this week, I've seen five principles about the work of wisdom coming from chapters 3 on of Proverbs, and I want to give them to you this morning. Number one. Number one. Here's the principle from other Proverbs other than chapter 2 that speak to us of the work of wisdom. Number one. The work of wisdom must be the greatest effort of your life. The work of wisdom. That means working to know the wisdom of God. It must be the greatest effort of your life. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. How blessed, maybe translated how enviable, how enviable is the man who finds wisdom. Which means, by the way, that if you find it, you've been searching for it. And the man who gains understanding. That word gains. He's working for it. He's gaining it. We confirm that with verse 14. For her profit, you've been working for it. You've been working as though you're working for wages. For her profit is better than the profit of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Nothing. The work of wisdom must be the greatest effort of your life. Nothing is to be more diligent than your pursuit of that. Nothing that you could ever pursue, including the profit of silver, the gain of fine gold, the preciousness of jewels, nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand, that's wisdom's hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. You have a person standing there, and in one hand, the right hand, you have nothing but a long life and in her left hand are nothing but riches and honor. Do you think you'd take it? Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Shalom. Blessing. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy, happy, blessed, enviable are all who hold her fast. That means you have to hold on to it. It means you have to embrace it with all of your might. 
The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding He established the heavens. By His knowledge the deeps were broken up and the skies dripped with dew. My son, Solomon says, let them not vanish from your sight. Which means you have to hold on to it. You have to keep your eyes upon it. Keep sound wisdom and discretion so they will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor the onslaught of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. None of those things will happen unless this is your greatest effort in life. Look at chapter 14 of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 23. The work of wisdom must be the greatest effort of your life. Nothing should supersede your ability and desire to pursue the reading and studying and accumulation of the wisdom of the Word of God. Chapter 14, verse 23, In all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Don't just talk about it. That's the point. Don't just talk about it. Do it. Labor for it. In all labor, there is profit. And the greatest profit will be as a direct result of the greatest labor. And if the greatest labor is a diligent pursuit of the wisdom of the Word of God, then the greatest profit to you will be a rewarding of your life with God's wisdom. Look at chapter 22. Chapter 22 of Proverbs. Verse 17, all underneath this principle of the work of wisdom being the greatest amount of effort that you could incline. Chapter 22, verse 17, incline your ear. There's that word incline again. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your mind to my knowledge. Haven't you heard your parents say, to you, if you're a young person, or maybe you're a parent yourself and you've said to your own young person, certainly I've said it, apply your mind to your work. Use your mind. Use the brain that God has given you. Use that instrument. Incline your ear. Apply your mind to my knowledge, for it would be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips. You see, it's not just talk that's not having the mind applied, that only leads to poverty. It's the talk that is backed up by applying your mind and inclining your ear and hearing the words of the wise. Verse 19 of that same chapter, so that your trust may be in the Lord. You see, it's not just for you, it's that your trust will be in the Lord. He says, I've taught you today, even you, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer Him who sent you. Look at chapter 23, verse 12. Apply your heart to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. You see a pattern here? Apply your heart, incline your ear, your heart, all speaking of the immaterial part of man, all of the function of your faculties, your heart, your mind, your conscience, your spirit, your soul, your heart, all of these things speaking of a working diligently, an effort 
Verse 19 of the same chapter, Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be wise, my son, direct your heart. Which means that there's a plan. You're working toward it. You're doing it. You're pursuing it with all of your effort. Verse 23, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy truth and do not sell it. You know that analogy about pursuing silver and gold and precious jewels it comes up again right here. And what he says is, don't buy all of that. I mean, that's important, that's valuable. That's a commodity in our world that people see as extremely important. But he says the most important thing is to buy the truth. If you're going to buy anything, if you're going to work for something, buy the truth and don't sell it. Don't sell it for any reason. Why? Because it's priceless. Gain or get wisdom and instruction and understanding. That's what you ought to be buying. That's what you ought to be receiving. That's what you ought to be working for. And then chapter 24, verse 3. Just one page over. 24, 3. By wisdom, a house is built. And by understanding, it is established. And by knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. You want to buy a house? You want to buy the materials to build a house? Build a house that is built upon wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And when you do, your rooms will be filled with all kinds of precious and pleasant riches. Boy, what is the blessing of a Christian home where the parents continually tell their children about God and His Word and about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and about right and wrong and about what the Bible says about this or that and how to gain great integrity and how to live with honesty and truthfulness. Did you hear this week about George O'Leary? He's the former coach of Notre Dame having only been there for one week because when he put on his resume all the way back in 1980 when he was trying to apply to be the assistant coach at Syracuse University all the way through his time at Georgia Tech University, seven years, now trying to apply and having received a request to become the coach of the most prestigious football institution in America, Notre Dame. His resume says, he lettered three years in football at the University of, Nebraska, uh, of New Hampshire. Wrong. He was only there for two years. And when they talked with the coach, and when they talked with other players who played at that time about 34 years ago, they said, do you remember him? And nobody remembers him. One guy said, I think I remember him practicing one time. And then he said he was doing a, had completed a master's degree from New York University in 1972. It was a lie. It was a lie. Now, you would think, first of all, that a, that a guy who might have something up here would have changed that resume if it wasn't true when you were going to the football program that would have the greatest amount of scrutiny in the country. You might have said to the sports information director, now, could I change up my resume a little bit before you post that on your website? But maybe even more so than that, how about a guy who doesn't pad his resume at all? How about a guy who says, this is who I am, for better or worse. This is what I do, for better or worse. This is who I am. You take me as I am. And of course, at that point, especially the master's degree, the University of Notre Dame, embarrassed, shamed, trying to be a, an institution of higher academic learning. 
fired him on the spot. Well, if you're going to do something like that, if you're going to build your house, if you're going to build your resume, if you're going to do anything with regard to your life, your integrity, your honesty, your truthfulness. By the way, one of the first speeches he had with the Notre Dame football players who remained from this past season was to talk to them about honesty and truthfulness. takes hard work. takes a lot of work. takes a desire, first of all, and the desire is that you pursue the wisdom of God's Word with a tireless effort, the greatest effort of your life. Is that what you're doing? That's your life? Is that what you pursue? Is that what you want to do in the morning? Is that what you want to do in the afternoon, in the evening? Whenever you can find snippets of time from the daily routine of life, you put it in your heart so that when Satan or his hosts come, or the sinfulness of the world or your own sinfulness comes at you, do you have a ready answer? Is there something on your lips to respond to the problems, the issues, the challenges, the trials, the tests of life? Not so if you're not working for this wisdom with the greatest effort. Number two. What do the other Proverbs tell us about the work of wisdom other than chapter 2? The work of wisdom allows the worker to be exalted and honored. The work of wisdom allows the worker to be exalted and honored. Look at chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to go through it, especially any of these Proverbs up to chapter 9 in more detail later. But at least now we can say in Proverbs 4, 4 it says this, Then he taught me and said to me, and again, this is a father's instruction to a son. Then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will guard you. Love her and she will watch over you. Sounds a lot like chapter 2, doesn't it? Almost a carbon copy. Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And with all your acquiring, get or gain understanding. Prize her and she will exalt you. You see it there? She, she's going to exalt you. This, this personification of wisdom, this woman, this, this great truth of the Word of God, this Bible that you hold in your hands, if you acquire its wisdom, if you gain its understanding, if you prize her, what does prize mean? Love it with all your heart. Love it with everything about you. As you've never loved anything before. You do that. God's wisdom will exalt you. Sounds a lot like James, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like if you're proud, God will humble you. If you're humble, God will exalt you. If you are humbly willing to submit yourself to the wisdom of the Word of God, prize it with all your heart, then wisdom will turn around and exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a garland of grace. She will present you with a crown of beauty. Chapter 19. Chapter 19 of Proverbs says, Essentially the same thing. If you work at gaining wisdom, it will allow you, the very worker, 
toward that wisdom of being exalted and honored. Look at chapter 19, verse 8. He who gets wisdom, he who gains wisdom, he who works for wisdom loves his own soul. That, that may not be more simply stated anywhere than right there. Do you love your soul? I don't know anybody who doesn't love their own soul. But they may be misplaced in how their soul is lovingly nourished. And isn't it true that people are pursuing everything that they presume will lovingly nourish their own soul because they love it? The only problem is it's the bait and switch and the things they're pursuing, the things they're prizing, the things they think will give them that ultimate satisfaction and nourishment ultimately are those things that fall far short of any actual nourishment. But if you truly love your soul, if you truly love your soul, you'll gain God's wisdom. He who keeps understanding will find good. Good. Look at chapter 21, verse 21. And if you're not writing the principles down, maybe you could at least write the verses down and say to yourself, I want to look at these verses. I want to find out what is the work of wisdom. And you'll find out here that the work of wisdom will allow you, the worker of that wisdom, to be exalted and honored. Chapter 21, verse 21. He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, righteousness, and honor. You see the key idea? You're pursuing it. You're working for it. You're working for the righteousness and the loyalty of God, and you're finding as a result life and righteousness and honor. You're going to be exalted. You're going to be honored. Why wouldn't it be such a converse of the illustration I just gave you about George O'Leary? If you were to be considered to be the coach of a football team, which of course pales absolutely in comparison with being approved by God as a laborer in His vineyard, and you were to say, Lord, such as it is, here's my resume. And there was one thing that was placed upon it. Pursued righteousness and loyalty. And the Lord says to you, you're hired. I'm going to give you, by the way, in the reward of your pursuit, and in the receiving of this particular job, these wages. Life, righteousness, and good. Wow. I'm going to give it to you. All of it. Honor, loyalty, righteousness. Boy, that's a, that's a pursuit I want. That's a pursuit that every Christian ought to want. And it's a pursuit of the work of wisdom. And when you work for it, and when the wages are there, and when you receive it, what do you receive but the wages that pale when you compare it to anything else other than the precious spiritual jewels, the precious spiritual riches, the precious spiritual gold of God. All of this stuff, suits, ties, shoes, hats, bags, cars, money, Houses, drugs, prestige, honor. All of that doesn't matter. It's just stuff. 
It's a means to an end. And if I put my whole heart in the means, then I'm fooled about what there is for me at the end. But if I pursue these things, these things that God tells me to pursue, I'll be honored by being exalted. This is the this is the real pot at the end of the rainbow. Yeah, I know that there might be people who say, well, I mean, I hear you, especially over the last several weeks, keep banging the drum of pursuing wisdom, pursuing wisdom. This is what you receive. This is what you gain. These are the wages. But I don't see that. Well, ask yourself the question, am I working hard enough? Do I have a ready answer on my lips when I'm tempted? Or do I fall to that, that t- temptation so easily? Am I not having at my ready disposal an answer to someone who hears, either to make a defense of the gospel or to make a defense about my life and who I am and who I fear and who I love? Some of you might be saying, well, that's all true and good, but I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader like you or somebody else around me. Look, everybody who is a Christian is a reader. You either read it by your eyes or you read it by your ears, but every Christian's a reader. You have to be. You have to be a reader. Because you have to be one who listens or hears the Word of God. And the only way to, to read it or listen to it or somehow, by some means, bringing it into the very fiber of your soul is to humble yourself and come to a place of saying, this is the wisdom and there is no other. There is no other wisdom. And if I do an evaluation of my life, if I do an assessment of my soul, And if I ask myself the question, what occupies my day? What occupies my life? What occupies the minutes that God has given me? In the vapor-like life that I have, what am I consumed upon? What what gives me the, the, the satisfaction that I crave? What do I prize? Is it the Word of God? And it may not be for you. You could be blind. But But do you hear the Word of God? There there are so many technological means that are available to us today. We have the opportunity in whatever translation we would desire uh, to stick a cassette into a a car, a CD, a, a computer, a Palm Pilot. I mean, it's endless. I mean, whatever happened to just opening up a page and reading it? We have so much more. If you're not a person who says, I like to put my eyes down on a on a piece of page and read it and study it and see black words frozen on a white page, then okay. But what are you doing to avail yourself of it? Are you in the car? Are you listening to it on the way somewhere? Are are you listening to it stereophonically at home? Are you allowing yourself the opportunity to hear someone else converse about it? Never seeing that as a substitute for your own, but at least you're imbibing all that you can from all the sources that you can. This is the effort. This is the challenge. But but if you work for it with the greatest of effort, then these selected Proverbs tell you the spiritual booty that you'll receive. And if you pursue it in such a fashion as the worker who is worthy of his wages, 
you'll receive exaltation and honor. And several more things that we can't cover this morning because we're out of time. You know, in this Christmas season, when we hear from so many other people about things spiritual. I was in the supermarket last night buying something late, some cough medicine for one of the kids. There was a man who was standing there. I didn't know who he was or what he was about. And he came to the cash register and he obviously didn't have enough money. I don't know his heart. I don't know his motives. I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know if he was trying to bilk the cashier out of the fact that he was short on his cash or what. I didn't know, but started talking with him. and He was short, so I gave him the difference. And he said to me, Merry Christmas. And you know, you can lead into a conversation right then and there and say, you know, it is a Merry Christmas and I want to tell you why. And you know, it may be that some random act of kindness would lead right into a discussion about the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Might be that you go to a prison somewhere and sing a hymn. Might be that you are inviting some neighbors or friends to a Christmas concert, maybe even today. It may be that you have an opportunity that may never pass this way again. And the gaining of the wisdom of the Word of God allows you to have a ready answer on your lips to anyone who would ask you to make a defense of the hope that lies within you. I'd like to be able to say that most of the time, especially for the preacher, that all of those witnessing exploits turn into someone getting on their knees and bowing to Jesus Christ. You know, the fact is, most often it does not happen that way. And it may be that on the spiritual alphabet, I'm only the person that's moving someone from letter A to G, and someone else is going to move them from, from G to L. It may be someone else who moves them from L to P, and someone who has the glorious privilege of praying with them to receive Christ with Z as the jackpot. None of us know. That's not our job. That's not our business. All we're supposed to do is to be those people who are to be used in a way that God Himself only knows. We're just the instrument. We're just the conduit. We're the person who responds to what we see and what we perceive in and of the moment. And only you and only I can, can say at any one point, oh, where is this moment? Is it now? Is it here? Is it what I'm supposed to say? But if you are pure before God and say, God, use me in this way or that way, it's only an opportunity for you to speak a word about Christ. And faith comes by hearing and hearing a word about Christ. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Father, there is, there is every opportunity. We have before us a very practical application, even as we see this week a, a coach who resigns because of a lack of truthfulness and integrity those who are indicted because they're using human beings to trade for money and drugs, and those who are in prison or in a supermarket who need to know about Jesus Christ. And we ask, Father, that You would plant us 
in a place where people can respond to the glorious gospel of Christ. Allow it to be so, Lord, not for the exaltation of our own self, our own character, our own giving, our own witnessing opportunities, but for Your name and Your glory. Allow the the singing of Your praises to be for Your honor, not ours. Allow our able defense of the gospel to be redounding to Your glory, not ours. But make us ready. And don't let us excuse ourselves by continually saying, I'm not ready, I'm not able, I'm not capable. If we know You, we can respond for You. And we shall, by the Holy Spirit's enablement, for the glory of Your name, through Christ. Amen.